Exodus chapter 6, verses 28, and we'll read down through chapter 7 and verse 13. The scripture says, And it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I am the Lord. Speak to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips, and how shall Pharaoh heed me? So the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron your brother shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and Aaron your brother shall tell Pharaoh to send the children of Israel out of his land. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and multiply my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. But Pharaoh will not heed you, so that I may, lay, I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. And Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you, saying, Show a miracle for yourselves, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh, and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh, and they did so, just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, so the magicians of Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. This is a very interesting passage, as you can see. It's coming off the, the, the tale of Moses' uh, opposition to God. So Moses had already gone to Pharaoh and said to Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no, in fact, I'm going to make it worse for them. And the children of Israel were upset. Moses was upset. He goes to God and said, you let us down. God goes through a long process of telling him what the plan was, tells Moses to go back. Moses says, no, I can't do it. And we looked at last week, the genealogy of the history of the family. And so in verse 28, it goes back to what he said before. God says, go speak to Pharaoh. And Moses says, I can't do it. I don't have the ability to speak before Pharaoh. He won't listen to me. And we see something about God's response to this sort of failure and I would say resistance to his will. How does God deal with Moses' resistance? But we're going to see four parts in this, in this uh, passage. We're going to see God's word. We're going to see God's plan, God's power, and man's resistance or man's response. So his word, God's word, his plan, his power, and then man's response to that. So look what it says here about God's word. This is a, a very crucial passage to understand about how we relate to God's word. So look at verse 28. And, God, and it came to pass on the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt that the Lord spoke to Moses. Think about this. When we say the word of the Lord, we can't mean that in a metaphorical sense. We mean literally God spoke words and someone heard them. They came directly from God. That's why we preach the Bible. Not because it's the source of our faith. No, it's because it came directly from God. That has to be very clear in our minds. 
<clears throat> as a Baptist church, we believe that everything we do, faith and practice, is based on the authority of Scripture. Why? Because it came directly from God. That's what this passage is saying. The Lord spoke to Moses. Not Moses saw something or Moses experienced something, but God spoke. Real words in a real time sense to a person. And these words are produced by God's character. The word of God is a result of who God is. The Bible exists in the way it does because of who God is. So he says here in the beginning, And it came to pass in the day the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, I am the Lord. Well, didn't Moses already know that? Was he surprised that this miraculous voice came to him and it was the same as before? So why did God say it? He wasn't telling Moses, you don't know who I am, so I'm going to tell you. He was making a statement. God was saying, here's who I am, so that you can understand everything I'm going to say afterwards. Because I am, I am, this is what I'm going to say to you. So when the Lord speaks, he first says, know my character, so that this, the words that you get make sense. They proceed from God's character. And what are those characteristics we see here? He's perfect. I am that I am. He doesn't need anything else. There's no flaws here. He exists in perfection. So that when he speaks, what comes out? Perfect words. If God is a perfect creature, then his words are perfect. So the word of God is perfect. We believe that. Why? Because we believe God. And since God is perfect, his words have to be perfect. So when you say the word of God, you are saying it's perfect. That may strike you as obvious, but when you deal with people outside the church, I'm sure he'll be fine. <laughs> uh, when you speak to other people, they're going to say, I believe the word of God. I just don't believe it's perfect. That's a very common position. Maybe use the word inerrant or something like that. You can't say it's the word of God and not say it's perfect. If you say that, then you're saying, one, it's not the word of God, or God's not perfect. So when we say the word of God, it's necessary that it's perfect. It's also personal. God is personal. How do we know God is personal and not some force or energy or just sort of everything combined? Because forces don't speak to you. This says the Lord spoke to Moses. There was a conversation. You don't have conversation with the wind, with trees, with dirt with energy, with electricity. You have conversations with people. People speak. Words come from people. So God is personal and he's good. Why is he good? Because he spoke to Moses. Look at Moses' attitude here. I know your creator, but I can't do it. I know you made me, but I'm not good enough. What does God do? He speaks to him. That tells us that the reason he speaks is because he's good. Because he's loving, he puts up with Moses. He continues to talk to Moses. He doesn't give Moses the silent treatment. And then finally, the word of God is authoritative. Why is the Bible authoritative? Because God wrote it. If God is I am, then there's nothing above him. He exists on his own. I am that I am, not I am that became or that was given, or that was created. I am that I am. So when the ultimate power speaks, those words have authority. Why is the Bible the only authority in our life? 
Not because it's true. Not even because it's perfect. Because it's God's word. God is authoritative, so his word is authoritative. See, other things can be perfect. Other things can be true. That doesn't make them authoritative. You can write a sentence that has no grammatical errors, that only contains truth. But you're not an authority in everyone's life, so that sentence is not an authority. The Bible is authoritative because God is. If you don't believe the Bible, it's because you don't believe in God. If you don't accept the Bible, it's because you don't accept God. There's, a, there's an attempt to say, well, I believe in God, but I don't believe in the Bible. No. It's God's word. So by rejecting God's word, you reject God. Everyone wants to divide the word from God. Take issues with the word, but still believe in God. I follow Jesus, but I'm not sure about all those things that Paul said. No, it's God's word. But it's not given to us directly from God. What does it say here? God spoke to Moses. And he said, go tell Moses, what I, go tell Pharaoh what I said. So the Lord said to Moses, see, I have made you as God to Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, should be your prophet. This is how the Bible works. This is how God's word works. He gives his perfect authoritative word to a chosen person. And that person gives it to everybody else. That person is not the pastor, if that's what you're thinking. That person is Moses. He says here, this interesting phrase, I, shall I have made you as God to Pharaoh. What's that mean? And you see the word as? Uh, that's in italics. It really could be translated, I have made you God to Pharaoh. Is Moses God? It's obvious that Moses is not God. Moses doesn't know very much. He doesn't have the willpower. He's foolish. He, he's not God. So how is he God to Pharaoh? God gave him words that are authoritative and perfect. He only gave them to Moses. So when Moses speaks, God speaks. So when Moses goes to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's hearing God. That's important. Why? Because we have Moses' words. Moses is as God to us, and Aaron his prophet. See, we can have prophets and messengers today, but we only have one Moses. So when you read Mo so Moses wrote the book of Exodus. Well, if a man wrote it, doesn't that make it potentially wrong? No, God has made Moses as God. So Moses' words are God's words. There's no distinction in this between God's words and Moses because God chose that. This is significant in how we deal with the fact that a man wrote the Bible, but we call it God's word. Which is it? Is it the word of Moses or the word of God? This verse is key. I have made you God to Pharaoh and to Chesapeake Baptist Church. So when you listen to Moses, you listen to God. Aaron is commissioned as the one who relates the words. Moses doesn't speak to Pharaoh in this passage. Aaron does. A prophet is someone who has God's word and is commissioned by God to tell other people. That's what Aaron is here. The words were not given to Aaron by God. They were given to Moses. But Moses was given the job of taking those words and telling them to other people. That's what a prophet is. That's what a messenger is. They're commissioned by God to take his words. And here's something really interesting. In case you thought that Moses or Aaron was a really great person, their abilities had nothing to do with it. Aaron, uh, Moses knows this. Look what he says in verse 30. I am a man of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh heed me? 
and God doesn't correct him. Moses did not have the ability. Look what it says in verse 7. And Moses was 80 years old, and Aaron was 83 years old. If you were going to start a new career speaking for God, would you choose the end of your life? Moses even says in Psalms that this was the extent of your years. You're not going to live past this. Now, by miracle, they did live past it. But at the time, they were two old men, very old men, who were slaves and shepherds, starting out on a new career. In other words, they're not the reason this worked. They were poor candidates to change the world. Which tells us what? Their abilities are not necessary, only their faithfulness. Then Moses and Aaron did so, just as the Lord commanded, so they did. Why were they able to do this? Not because anything they were, but because they took God's word and faithfully gave it to somebody else. That's it. That's all they did. They took exactly what God gave them, and they gave it faithfully to somebody else. Spurgeon says, do not imagine when you hear of a sermon being made useful, that it was the sermon itself that did the work. If the sermon was useful, it's because it proclaimed God's word. It was faithful to these words. Okay, what's that mean for us? In the New Testament, there are prophets and messengers. Who are they? Everyone who has Moses' words, God's word, and has been commissioned by God to give it to somebody else. Guess who that is? Every single member of this church. Every single member of this church has the Bible and has been commissioned by Jesus to go to all the world and make disciples. That's a commission. You see, we are now Aaron. At this moment, I am Aaron. I'm not Moses. This is Moses. This is God to us. My job is to take God's word and give it to the people. And your job is the same. You have been specifically chosen by God to take his word and give it to other people. And you may say, I don't have the ability. You're right. I'm too old. You're right. I'm too young. Exactly. Just like Moses and Aaron. You are just as bad as they are. Unable to do it. What is required then? Is it required that Moses, that Pharaoh heed your words? No. It's required that you do exact, just as the Lord commanded them, so they did. Which was what? Take the words and give them. Not to convince anybody, not to change anybody, not to be anybody. Just take the words and give them. If you feel like you're not able to take God's word and give it to somebody else, good. You're in the same category. But that doesn't let you off the hook. Moses tried to say, I'm, an, I'm uncircumcised. I can't do it. And God says, you still have to do it. So you're sitting there and say, I'm not educated. I don't know the Bible well enough. Still have the commission. I don't have the energy, still have the commission. My life's kind of behind me, doesn't matter. How long did the exodus take? Not very long. What was Aaron doing for the first 80 years of his life? Who cares? What mattered was at this point for the next year or two, he was going to lead the people out of Egypt. So if you're older, God may have been preparing you your whole life for the next year or two. That's it. So the first 50, 60, 70 years of your life was preparation for the next one or two years. And you're like, I'm, I'm ready to kind of pass it on. No, maybe you're ready to get started. I'm too old. I don't have the, 
Okay, do you have the Bible? Do you have the Holy Spirit? You're ready. That's it. Well, I don't feel accepted in the church. Do you think Moses felt accepted with his people? They cursed him. They pronounced a divine curse on Moses. Did Moses then give up? Well, he tried to. And God says, I don't care what they said about you. You've got the word and you've got the commission. Do your job. So it is with this church. Whatever you think about yourself, here's what's true. You have the word and you have the commission. Go tell somebody. Go tell everybody. What does the word say? So this is God's word, but the word reveals God's plan. The word gives Moses the divine perspective. It shows him what, with his ears what he can never see with his eyes. What did Moses see with his eyes? The most powerful man in the world holding his people captive. What does God say to him? I'll destroy him. It's a divine perspective. Have you ever seen uh, those old west buildings? And you look at them, it's like a two-story building. Then you walk about 20 feet to the side, and what is it? It's a one-story building with a fake front. That's what's happening here. That's what the whole Bible is doing. It's shifting you off your where you grew up about 20 feet to the right so you can look at the world at a different angle. And you see that a lot of it's just a false front. If you didn't move, it would look real. Moses saw Pharaoh, and Pharaoh was real, wasn't he? But not like uh, Moses thought. So the Bible gives him a divine perspective. And what does it tell him? Look in verse 4. God says, I have a plan. I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I will multiply. But Pharaoh will not heed you. So that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring out my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgments. God could have made Pharaoh let his people go right away. But he didn't. Why not? Because he wanted to punish Egypt. He wanted to judge Egypt. Egypt had kept slave for so long that God says, you're going to pay for that. You've oppressed people for 400 years. They don't get to just leave. You're going to pay when they leave. So it was salvation of the Israelites by judgment of Egypt. He said, I'm not going to let Pharaoh let you go so that he has to suffer. Because he did the wrong thing. And now they're going to suffer in the salvation of it. And what's the point? Verse 5, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. There's the point of the whole Bible. Why did God speak to us? So that everyone would know that he is the Lord. Saved and unsaved. The Israelites would see it in their salvation, and the Egyptians would see it in their punishment. The point of this God's plan is to let everyone know who he is through salvation or judgment. And really, salvation by judgment. The gospel both saves and hardens. If you reject the gospel, your condemnation is greater. It was worse for hearing it and rejecting it. Those of us who accept it, we're saved so we know who God truly is. So we see the, the word of God, the, the plan of God, the power of God. It's not just words. It's not just ideas. It actually goes into action. In verse 8, he goes before Pharaoh, and we have what's, what, a prelude to the ten plagues. The ten plagues is God showing who he is and that he's better than Egypt. We get a preview here. He goes before him, and he says, take the rod, throw it down the ground, and a, and a piece of wood will become a living snake. That's impossible, isn't it? 
Yes, it is impossible. Unless you control the very elements of this world. You control atoms, molecules, DNA, you control it all, and you can reshape things to be of a different nature than they were to begin with. What would we call that? Magic. Alchemy. Changing something like a rock into an animal. God does it because God actually controls the elements of this world down to a degree that we can't comprehend. So he has power over nature. But he's not the only one that can do things. And in this passage, we see a hint of evil powers. This is fascinating for those of us who live in a sort of the modern world and think everything is sort of black and white. So Pharaoh called his wise men and sorcerers, so the magicians of the Egypt, they also did in like manner with their enchantments. For every man threw down his rod and they became serpents. I think this actually happened. I think they used magic to change a stick into a snake. Because I think that's what the Bible is saying right here. They used their enchantments to do something that should not have been possible. Open your mind up to the fact that we don't know everything. And that there's evil power out there, and it's not theoretical, it's real. And in this passage, it was able to do something that seemed impossible. It was able to perform magic. Magic's not real, right? What do you call this? What do you call it? Whatever you want to call it, it's doing something that doesn't seem possible. But it's an evil power. Don't think that the devil only whispers in your ear. The devil's real, and he has power. C.S. Lewis says there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail a materialist or magician with the same delight. Don't believe in the devil? The devil loves it. Obsessed with magic and the devil? He loves that too. What is it? One is denying reality, that there's an evil power in this world that we can't see. If you ignore evil, it doesn't go away. The other one is to be obsessed with evil powers. That's bad. What we look at here is two things. Evil power is real, and it can change nature. But look what happens. Every man threw down his rod, and they became serpents, but Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. If magic is real, who cares? This passage is saying evil power in this world doesn't compare to God. Whatever you believe about magic or powers or spiritual things, they serve at the pleasure of God. When the devil wanted to tempt Job, he went and he made a request to God to do it. Nothing happens in this world that God doesn't want to happen. And if evil powers seem to be scary, look at this. Look what happened to them. Whatever these magicians did, God made the snake eat their snakes. As a visible display that no matter what mystical art you have, God controls the world. God controls the world. That's it. That's the point of this. But look at man's response. So God has spoken. He's given the plan. He's shown his power and his dominion over this world. How does man respond? And Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them, as the Lord had said. Why didn't he heed them? Why didn't he listen to them? They spoke for God. They showed miracles that only God could do demonstrating their power over his gods. 
Why didn't he listen to them? Because he didn't want to. That's it. He didn't want to. Look at, look at the Egyptian, the magicians. Did they listen to him? No. Second Timothy actually names them, Janus and Jambres, who resisted Moses. Why didn't they believe? They saw that his magic was better than theirs, that their, his God was better than their gods. They didn't want to. And here's the key. You can't change your heart if you don't want to. And not, not miracles and not truth and not power, nothing will change your heart if you don't want to. If you're not a believer here today, if you don't believe that this is God's word and is true, the reason why you don't trust in it is what Anthony Moore says. The reason why you don't trust in, you don't believe in the sufficiency of God's word is not that there's not sufficient evidence. The reason why you don't believe in God's word is an ethical one. You don't want to. You take that out into the world, and unbelievers don't want to believe the Bible. Do you remember the story of the, of the, the rich man Lazarus? The rich man goes to hell, and he cries out to Lazarus, Send somebody to warn my brothers that this is a terrible place. And Abraham says, they have Moses. They have Exodus chapter 7. And he said, no, 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 but send somebody back from the dead. And Abraham said, if they won't listen to Moses, they won't listen if someone came back from the dead. See, we're looking for some miracle to happen to convince everybody in the world that the Bible is true. doesn't matter. They don't want to believe it. And you can't change somebody if they don't want to be changed. And it's a terrible place to be. But it's not just Pharaoh. It's Moses. Moses had God's word in chapter 6, verse 30. The word came to Moses, who was a follower of God. But Moses said before the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How shall Pharaoh heed me? Moses says, I don't want to do it either. I don't want to believe either. I'm just like Pharaoh. You see, this is the problem. Pharaoh's not out there. Pharaoh's here. Pharaoh's everyone who doesn't believe the Bible. It's Moses. It's the children of Israel. They died in the wilderness because they wouldn't believe. It's God's people and it's the world. It's a heart problem. How do you know? Here's what Aunt Moore says. Do you believe the words in this book are the words from God? Do you believe that? What I'm talking about is not what you would mark out on a piece of paper and check by way of doctrine. Yes, I believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Sign the covenant. Agree the statement of faith. What I want you to do is look back over the course of your week, this week, and consider. I want to know if the time and attention you gave to God's word actually demonstrates that you trust that this is a good and glorious God speaking to you. Just because you believe in God and you say you believe this is the Bible doesn't make you different. Look at your week. Did you treat this like it came straight from God himself? Why not? Don't you have the evidence? Because you don't want to. Because there's a heart problem. The problem in our heart says, I don't want to listen, even if it's true. I don't want to listen, even if it's true. And you can show me every reason it's true, and I'll accept them, but I don't want to listen. And if your heart doesn't want to listen, what else is there? Your desires need to be changed. You need to want something different. How? How do you want something different? You can't. So what does the Bible say? You give up. You say, I can't do it. And you look at Christ. 
And that's what we see here. This is a picture of what Christ is going to do. This isn't random information about some people that lived a long time ago. This is preparing us for Christ. Exactly preparing for what Christ would do. Here's God's answer to our negative response. Christ. When we say, I don't want to follow you, I don't want to believe, God sends Christ. And here's how he sends him. First, the word, the word of God that came to Moses, the prophet Aaron that spoke the word, they are with us. They became flesh. John 1.14, the word became flesh and did what? Proclaimed. Hebrews 1 says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past by the prophets, by Moses, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Moses was a terrible representative of God, wasn't he? We need something better than Moses, and we got it. The word became flesh. The incarnation of Jesus is how we get past the fact that we didn't read our Bible this week. The fact that God did not just send letters to us, he actually came down to us and spoke to us and lived with us. But look, it says, Pharaoh will not let his people go, that I may bring them out by great judgment, salvation by judgment. If we're like Pharaoh, then what should end up happening to us? The same thing that happened to Pharaoh. Dead. Why doesn't it? Because of the cross. Salvation by judgment. True Israel. Christ. Christ, who is the true Israel, died for Egypt. He didn't leave Egypt. He died for Egypt. Isaiah 53. But he, Jesus, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us. For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked. You know why I don't read your Bible? Because you don't believe that. You don't believe that you're Egypt. You think you're okay. But Jesus had to die for you. For all the bad stuff that we did, it was put on him. True Israel dies for Egypt. When you can see that, everything else is easy. When you can see that he paid for all of our problems, reading your Bible is easy. And then finally, look at the power over nature. We see in this passage that Moses had power over nature. But Christ shows us a better Moses, a better Aaron. That's what the resurrection is. The resurrection is explicitly power over nature. So in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, So when this corruptible, when this world, when this nature puts on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. You hear that word? Swallowed up? Just like the snakes. God's snakes swallowed up the other ones. And so here, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where's your sting? Snake, where's your sting? Hades, where's your victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This little taste of an exodus of what God would do is pointing forward to what Christ did in the resurrection. 
He didn't just swallow up a magician's snake. He swallowed up creation. He swallowed up everything bad. Everything that makes your body break down. Everything that makes you fearful and sad and lonely. He swallowed it up and gave us the victory. He took the sting of death and gave us the victory. Moses is pointing us to Christ. God is pointing us to Christ. The Word of God is not just stories about people. It's showing us that Christ is the answer for our problems. Whether you're faced off with some magicians, he's the answer. Or whether you're just stuck in middle America with no point to your life, still the answer. This is what the Word of God gives us. What's your response? Is your response like all the people in this passage, unbelief and fear? Or is it acceptance? Is it saying, I'm the person who killed Jesus, but I accept that he died for me? This is the word of God to show me where I'm wrong, to show me that I need Jesus to save me. Do you believe it? Will you repent of everything else you put in your life and turn to Christ? Only Christ died for you, and only Christ can save you. Let's pray.